invite you to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. The setup of this chapter is really quite amazing. It is very repetitious, which is, um, and when we look at it, it's quite offensive that um, Paul would think these people either didn't get it or just needed such a constant and repeating reminder. Uh, it is uh, difficult for the people to hear, and it's hard for us sometimes if we think, why is he keep hammering the same thing over and over? Um, but it's obviously because of importance of the matter. Paul wanted to make sure, because he knows what's at stake. The unity of the body of Christ is at stake, and uh, even the conscience and the, 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 the souls of another Christian are at stake. And he wants them to help one another to flourish, never to flounder or be discouraged. And so here in this final uh, paragraph, or in our Bibles it's a paragraph, final section of, of this chapter, chapter 14, we'll read, there's a, a large portion of repetition, and then we'll cover the last couple verses together. Romans 14, beginning in verse 20, let me read this for us. Hear God's word. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean. But it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is not good to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats. Because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. May God's word bear fruit in our lives. So there, verse 20, you'll notice these first two verses are very uh, much the resounding theme of the entire chapter. Uh, it, it's about these two issues mainly that they were struggling with at the Church of Rome is this matter of eating or not eating, abstaining. Or the matter of a certain day being consecrated as holy and is required in a sense. And so here, Paul talks about this discussion again about food. Don't for the sake of food destroy the work of God. And that's what's really interesting because here the work of God is actually a person. It's actually a person. He comes and he talks about the verse prior is about the mutual upbuilding of people. You're building up. And then verse 20 says, don't tear down. Well, what is it? It's the person of the kingdom of God. The son or the daughter of God, the, the citizen, the fellow citizen of the kingdom. Don't destroy them. Don't tear them down. They are the work of God and the evidence of the work of God in them. So if it's to you and if it's to your uh, doing, make sure that you do not destroy them. Even for the sake of food, which you might think is totally acceptable, don't destroy another person. Be aware of other people that God is at work in. Don't destroy the work. Don't cause their conscience to be seared. Don't cause them to stumble because of your certain convictions or opinions on certain things. Don't, for the sake of food, destroy God's work in another person. And then he goes on, Paul uh, lays bare his... Uh, his opinion on food uh, is everything is indeed clean. 
which he said already once before. Everything is clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another person stumbles by what he eats. So it might be good for you and it might be acceptable for you to do a certain thing, to carry out your conviction or opinion, but it is wrong if that causes another brother or sister in Christ to stumble. And then he says, verse 21, it is not, uh, sorry, it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. It is good not to, not to take the freedoms you have, not to take the allowances you have, your liberties that you have. It is good to refuse them for a time. It's not going to hurt you to refuse a liberty. If you're liberated to do whatever you please, it's not going to hurt you to, to sit one out for a brother or sister in Christ. But it will hurt your brother or sister in Christ if you partake and it's going to cause their conscience to be seared or cause them to really question uh, their faith or whether they've done wrong. And so it's not going to hurt you, but it will hurt them. So therefore, it is good not to eat meat, or it is good not to drink wine, or it is good not to do anything that causes a brother to stumble. This has been the resounding theme of this chapter, is think about your brother first. You might have your own opinion, your own conviction, but think about your brother or sister first, because they may be at a different place with you than you with God in their walk. They may be weaker in the faith, less mature in the faith, they may be more mature, and you may be struggling with certain things yourself, but make sure that as long as it depends on you, that they don't stumble. Help them, cause them to walk in a way that is upright, mutually building them up. That's what verse 19 said we looked at last week. So don't tear down. Tear down your own freedoms if that's what it means for others to be able to thrive in their faith. And then verse 22 the interesting verse here, we'll look at verse 22 and 23 today specifically. It says, The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So in these two verses, the word faith is referred to three times. First, in verse 22, the faith that you have. And then at the end of verse 23, if the eating is not from faith, or whatever does not proceed from faith, is sin. So what does this faith mean? We know that faith is a belief and a trust, a wholehearted trust in God and the gospel of God, what he has accomplished for us at the cross in, in his perfect living and his perfect dying and his raising from the dead. Our faith is placed there. We trust that for our life, for our morality, for our righteousness. We trust it for our standing before God. And so that faith Trusting in Jesus is going to transform what we do every day. It's going to transform our opinions. It's going to transform our decisions of right and wrong and what to do and what not to do. So that's how uh, the faith can sometimes not only just capture that placing our faith in Jesus, a, a trusting and dependence on Jesus for salvation, but it can wrap up the whole of life of trust and of walking by faith and not by sight. You're trusting God. So the faith 
that you have here in verse 22 means the, the, the belief that you have, the trust that you have in God, and the way it's causing you to either be free to do as you please with food and drink, or to be maybe more restrained, the faith that you have, whatever it is, you're to keep it between yourself and God. Now, that is one of these verses that you could pull out of context and say, look, I'm an introvert. I don't like really talking to people. I'm kind of shy. Right here, it tells me in the Bible, the faith that you have keep between yourself and God, I never have to share it. I don't have to talk to others. There's no obligation for me to go and share my faith. We got evangelists for that. We got people who are gifted for that. That's not me. That's not what this verse means. And we know that because of the context. Here it's talking about the faith that you have, the belief and the convictions that you have, keep between yourself and God in the sense that you're not to put your convictions on another person. The belief that you have about eating or drinking or about a holy day or about a, a certain uh, level of extreme dress code or of music in or out of a church or of electronics or of entertainment or of any of those opinionated matters. Your faith is shaping those things. It's, it's causing you to think something is right or wrong. So the faith that you have, the belief that you have, and the trust that you have in God in those things is not to be placed on someone else. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Keep that conviction you have between you and God. Don't ever try to force it on another person. This is a really challenging passage because as parents, we know that the faith that we have, the convictions, the moral compass, the uh, conscience we have about certain items, we want to instill in our children because we think they're right. And it is right to do so. As parents, we are supposed to pass on our convictions of faith, not just about Jesus, but about what walking with Jesus looks like in terms of making friend choices and spouse choices and movie choices. Those faith matters of our faith are to be passed on to the next generation. But it is not for us to hold them in judgment when they disobey our convictions or when they don't follow the way that we have determined to be the right opinion. It's really hard. And you would see how hard it is And when you grow up and your children grow and they might not share your faith anymore. And they might not even have the same moral compass as you anymore. The things that you taught them, that you placed on them, they don't fall under anymore. That's where it's really hard. But this kind of comes to reality is you can try to place your convictions on someone else, but it'll never work. Convictions is a matter of one's own personal heart. Whatever this faith is, whatever your opinion is on not only opinions within the church, but it goes beyond that. About who Christ is and what he has done and how you're to respond to Christ. All convictions have to be personal. Yes, we are to teach. Yes, we are to walk lovingly. It doesn't never once, does Paul say in this entire chapter, never once does he say, don't tell another uh, what you might think about such a thing. He doesn't say for the ones who eat, don't ever talk about eating. He doesn't say that you're, you're not allowed to say that you eat, that you have to keep that a secret. But what he does suggest here is that it is your conviction that you're to maybe educate others about, but never to hold it as their convictions. That's what happens when someone becomes legalistic about uh, certain 
uh, opinions and they try to place it on another person. Certain opinions about music styles that are acceptable in church. Well, only a piano is acceptable. And I'm going to place that conviction on everyone else. So if you're convicted that you're allowed a guitar in a church, I don't know if you're a faithful Christian. That, that's wrong to do. That's wrong to do because it's not scriptural. There is nowhere in scripture that says pianos are allowed and guitars are not. And so for you to place a conviction like that on someone else is absolutely wrong and it's harmful for them. Because they might start living under that and say, okay, it is wrong, it's wrong, guitars are wrong. But they might not feel it in their own hearts. And if, if in their own hearts they don't know it's wrong, but they're still following all the marching orders, this passage says that they are in danger of breaking their own conscience, and that's not okay. Again, educating them is not wrong. Maybe trying to show them the way. Maybe, and, and that's the reality of this whole passage, too, is someone is less mature, in the faith, and yes, they need to be taught and, and brought up, but you're still not getting to place your convictions on them and then holding them to your convictions of your conscience. It's a really difficult matter because the things you hold in your conscience are because you think they're right. And so then when someone else is not doing them and they're failing to do them, you are wretched in your own heart. And you think, I just wish you would get it. But this is where Romans chapter 14 is all about the grace and the patience of the Lord towards us. Because imagine if this was Jesus and you and all the things that you get wrong and all the immaturities in you. And he says, no, you must be here. And if not, you are a lousy Christian. And he just reminds you of that all the time. Imagine where your faith walk would be. You'd be depleted and discouraged. You would be stumbling one thing after the next. If it was always heavy handed, you got it wrong versus the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that when we stumble, he is gentle and lowly. He picks us up. He carries broken sheep to where they need to be. He leads the flock. That's the heart of Christ. And so that should be the heart of us, even within the church, where we see people who have different convictions and maybe, in our view, wrong convictions about opinions. We can lead them in a way of righteousness, but never say that my conviction must be your conviction. We point them to Christ, the Christ who loves them and will lead them. That's what it means at the beginning of verse 22. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Doesn't mean don't share your faith about the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't share your story. We are commanded elsewhere to do that. Matthew chapter 28. Go. It's a command. Go and tell others. Go and make disciples. So that does not mean that here in verse 22. We're so thankful for the whole of Scripture. Uh, that even though it might break us out of our comfort zone, we are still commanded to go. Second part of verse 22, so it goes on the second sentence, is blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. Blessed, or another translation of that word, can rightfully be happy. Happy is the one, uh, King James says it this way, happy is he that condemneth not himself. In the things which he alloweth. Or the Christian standard Bible says, Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. The things that you approve, the things that you say are right and acceptable, you are blessed and happy when you're not self-condemned by them. And that comes, that flows from somebody else not placing their convictions on you. The things that you approve, if you only approve what someone else has told you to approve, and all of a sudden you're doing it because someone else said it's okay, but your heart is convicted within you, you will not be blessed. You will not be happy. Happy is the one who does not condemn himself 
because of what he allows. So your allowance, your con- conscience should be between you and God. God should convict you from his word by the spirit with the help of others. But you are happy and blessed when you're not self-condemned all the time because you're doing what you think is wrong because someone else told you it's right. That's here what's saying is you're doing what's wrong because someone else said it was right. And so you think, I feel wrong about this. I feel like this is not right for me. One example I thought of when I was thinking about this is, um, you know, uh, brethren churches or, or gospel halls that, uh, and, and head coverings, right? So a woman who is convicted that a head covering is a, a sign of submission before the Lord, a sign of submission in the church, that it's a good, a good sign of submission. Submission is not a bad word, but a good and godly thing that it glorifies God to, to cover her head from 1 Corinthians. Um, it's there. It's in the text. And so people have the right to be convicted that way. But what of those who say, no, don't? What if a woman is convicted that covering her head is right and honoring before God and others tell her not to do it? You're not allowed to do that in our church. That's unacceptable. That's cultural. People are going to stare at you. Don't cover your head. That woman is not blessed and happy. She will be in turmoil because what she has now allowed is because of what someone else said. So she's not going to be blessed and happy. She's not going to be encouraged in her walk by faith. She's going to be at turmoil. So she's going to be missing out on this blessing of happiness and walking with a right conscience before God. And the opposite is true. A woman who is not convicted by 1 Corinthians that says it is honoring for a woman to cover her head. If she is welcomed into a, 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 another church that is convicted that way, like she's not going to be happy and blessed doing that. She's not going to be encouraged thinking, oh, this is more honoring to God because she's not convicted that way. But depends on the person. They could say, well, you know what? For the sake of another person's conscience, I'm going to do this. I'm going to wear the head covering. And that's my experience. What I've seen is saying, like, you go into that environment, you just kind of respect that. Um, you, you, you don't look down upon that. You know, when I've been in, in gatherings of Pentecostal brothers and sisters, I don't tell them they cannot do what they're doing. I may not agree with it. I may not think anything of it. But I'm not going to tell them they can't because that's going to make them unhappy in their convictions, which is not restricted by God. And so it's a really hard struggle when we're thinking about our convictions and really the happiness or the the literal happiness of believers. God wants us to be blessed and happy in our choices we have made so that we are not just self-condemned all the time. That you're doing what you're doing only because someone else has said it. And I think that's the problem sometimes where we see with children. They're only doing what they're doing because of your conviction. And so then they're unhappy in it. And then they grow up and they know that they were just unhappy in that conviction. That they weren't doing it because they thought it was wrong. They were doing it because you thought it was wrong. You know what I mean? Like they were only refusing to do X, Y, or Z because mom or dad said it was wrong. But they never felt it was wrong in their own hearts. And so they were always at turmoil. And so then guess what? Now I have freedom. I can do what makes me happy. And it's a sad day when they are realizing that. When you, when you allow them that freedom outside of your home. Uh, it's a sad day, a really revealing of a heart, right? Uh, but that's the reality of when convictions are not there in a, in a person's own heart. But we are blessed. We are happy when our, uh, our conscience is right. We are truly free. We are not captive to a guilty conscience. Now, does this mean that a person should just go ahead and sear their conscience as much as possible so they can be happy? 
Because you see that, right? Like people who have a seared conscience, you think, how in the world could you ever be happy doing what you're doing in life? Like how can that actually bring you happy? There's no way you're happy, but some people are because their conscience is seared. The thing that once was wrong, they did it five times, ten times, a hundred times. Now they don't think it's wrong because that's seared. It is unresponsive to end. The, the guilt factor that was there is now hardened. So that they think they're happy, but it's false. It's a false happiness. They are just as captive as the person who has a free conscience, but does the opposite. So blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself or to condemn himself by what, he, what he's doing. You want to live in step with what you believe is right and wrong, you really need to have this moral compass right in your heart. Verse 23 then says, But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So if you have doubts, you are condemned if you partake. If you have doubt. Uh, King James says it even harsher. says, uh, The one that doubteth is damned. If he eats, CSB says, whoever doubts stands condemns if he eats. If you question whether something is right or wrong, you're not sure and you partake, you're condemned. It was wrong. It was wrong. Unless you are fully convinced in your mind that something is right, you don't do it, is what Paul is saying here. We ought to be fully convinced Verse 14, he said, I know and I am persuaded. Paul was convinced. He is persuaded in the Lord. He had a conviction that was solidified based on the belief he had, the faith he had in what the Lord had done for him. But here in verse 23, it says, if you have doubts, if you're not sure about a thing, if it's okay to eat that or not, like was that sacrifice to idols? Is it okay if I eat it or not? I'm not sure if that's wrong. You err on the side of refusal. If I don't know if it's wrong or not, I'm not going to do it. That's really hard. Especially as the world just keeps going on and things just keep getting thrown in your face saying, here, take, eat. Hey, do this. Hey, try that. If you're wrestling with, I'm not sure how right or wrong this is. The answer is you step back and you refuse it until you come to a conclusion based on God's word and the Holy Spirit, is this right or wrong? Until that point, you refuse, you abstain. Charles Spurgeon said, Do nothing about which you have need, ask, need to ask a question. Be quite sure about it or leave it alone. Whatsoever you cannot do with the confidence that you're doing it's right, it is sin to you. Though the deed may be right to another person, if you have any doubt about it yourself, it is evil to you. So someone else might think it's right, and a, and a Christian might joyfully, gladly, without any guilt, be doing something, and uh, you think, I don't know how they, how they can do it. I, mean, I guess it is right. If all those other people are doing it, I guess it's acceptable. But I'm not sure in my own heart. If that's the case, then you refuse it. You refuse it. You, you leave it alone, as Spurgeon says. If you have a need to question, you leave it alone. He said... If you can't do it with the confidence that you're doing something right, it's evil. Until, until it's right to you, it's, it's evil. So just don't do it. And you think, yes, 
Yes, that is so freeing. That totally goes with verse 22. If, if I have this, this battle within me about if something is right or wrong, and I'm not really sure, and if it's in question, then why wouldn't you step back and say, uh, I'm just going to wait. Like, I'm not sure if that's wrong, but because if it is wrong and you've partaken, then guess what? You're not going to be blessed and happy. You're going to have a conscience that's seared, a conscience that's, that's feeling guilty because you have done wrong. And here, even in verse 23, it says, if you have done it when you felt, um, if you had a doubt about it, then it is sin. So, so not just in verse 22 is this matter between your own heart and your own conscience, but here in verse 23, it is sin. Now you've sinned against God. You've sinned against God if you haven't been fully convinced to do something that is maybe questionable or whether you think it's right or wrong. Don't do it. Put a pause on the second part of that sentence says, because the eating is not from faith. So here Paul's using the exact example of eating, partaking of certain meats for these people. And you can see how that's like a real temptation within their church family. You know, you got all these people who say, no, like we understand by faith in Christ that he said, take and eat and all is clean. And so we're just eating. We're having this feast. Why don't you have some? And you can see a person who's come out of that and, and, and their whole life they, they knew it was wrong. They thought it was wrong. And now all of a sudden it's offered them. It's like, hey, all these Christians around them saying, it's okay, just, just have it. But in their own heart, there's still turmoil. You can see the, the inclination to say, you know what, maybe I, maybe I will. Maybe I'll try it. But if they do, then it's going to be wrong in their own hearts. They should not partake of it until they've been convinced by God in Christ that it is right. And here, yeah, the example is specifically eating. Uh, whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. It's not from the place of your belief system. It's not from you trusting in God. It's from you just wanting to explore on your own. It's not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Acting from doubt rather from faith is the problem. So what informs or what strengthens this faith then? If, if we're to make decisions about something that is right or wrong, something that is now questionable before us, what informs us? What increases our faith? The Word. Romans 10, 17. For faith comes through hearing the Word of Christ. So this faith, this ability to believe and trust God for not just salvation, but life and and diff, and. and decisions this is informed by and strengthened by the word of god and the holy spirit of god teaching us correcting us showing us where we have uh, gone off the, the rails it is the word of god and the spirit of god if you cannot justify what you are about to do with uh, not only the text because some people can justify a lot of awful things by cherry picking the bible um, like someone could justify having multiple wives. Say, look, all those guys had multiple wives. So not saying if you can just justify it by finding a Bible verse, but if you can't justify it by finding the character and the heart of God from all of Scripture and the Holy Spirit showing you, revealing to you that this is right and acceptable. If you can't justify what you're doing, not by excuse. If you can excuse yourself to try something, that's still wrong. Or if you can justify it by saying, well, so-and-so thinks it's right, or so-and-so has done it, and they're not convicted, that's still not acceptable justification. 
You need to be able to justify what you're going to do based on Scripture and your faith in Christ. If it's not from that place, if it's not from your walk with Christ, it is wrong to do. It's wrong to do, even if it might be ridiculous. Even if you think that's ridiculous, everyone else is doing this, but I kind of question it, don't do it. Don't do that to your own conscience. Don't cause your own self to stumble. Just walk by faith. Trust God. Pray about that. If there's something that you know every other Christian is doing and you're kind of questioning still, just pray forever about it. Search the scriptures about it. Seek godly counsel about it. But don't partake until you're convinced by your faith. Whatever does not proceed from that faith is sin. It's wrong to do. If you can't walk by faith and do something then it's sin to do it. It's wrong against God. It's sin. Spurgeon so helpfully once said also, people who can't come to a settled, who cannot come to a settled conviction about what God wants them to do are forever subject to a guilty conscience and are in constant danger of acting against their conscience and so thus sinning. So, pray and study until you arrive at a settled conviction about your course of action. Pray and study and pray and study. It's so true what he said. If you can't come to a settled conviction, you're in constant danger of acting against your own conscience and sinning if you can't come to these decisions. So what do you do? Just sit back and say, oh, well. No, you, you pray and you seek God. You seek his word. You study his word. You say, where is this in the scriptures? And some things, obviously with modern technology, modern X, Y, and Z, it's not going to be explicit in the text, but you can see the heart of God for it. How the people of God responded to, to like situations uh, in the text. And, and, and was that approved by God? Or was that something just man made up? Because that's another thing. You know, you can find in the text, like divorce, right? So when uh, they were trying to trap Jesus about divorce, what did he say? That's something that Moses made up. That you guys, all the elders made it up. Divorce was not from God. And so that's the thing is some people can say, well, yeah, there it is. It's in the text and all these things. And so they just try to justify X, Y, and Z. I'm not going off on divorce right now, but that's just an example that I thought of where it is... You know, you have to really wonder in the text, okay, what's God's thought on this? This might be in the text, but what's God's heart on the matter? We need to study and pray. Walk with others who have gone before us. Walk with others maybe who are behind us. And, and when we walk, like that's the beauty of Romans 14 is you have these different levels of maturity, these different people with different convictions that are worshiping in one place together. And so they can side by side struggle through these issues together. A person who comes into this, this church in Rome who maybe has their whole life thought that eating you know, pork and bacon was wrong and all of a sudden they're, they're struggling with it. They're wrestling with it. It's good to wrestle, but it's not going to partake until you've been persuaded in the Lord Jesus Christ that it is clean. And that applies for all of us. In every one of our decisions, we are not permitted to do it unless we're permitted by Christ. So don't partake. Don't partake, but, but refuse for the sake of your conscience, for the sake of your own faith and, and not wanting yourself to stumble. We pray 
and we study because we want to have everything proceed from faith in the Lord, faith in what he has accomplished for us and what he's doing in us, that we can walk not hindered, but holy, so that we can please him with every day of our lives. We want to do this. And so we want, not for the sake of food, to destroy the work of God, not for the sake of uh, food or any other choice we make to destroy the work of God even in our own hearts, to, to bear ourselves with just burden of guilt after guilt. Instead, we want to be happy and blessed as we walk by faith and not by sight. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful and glad that you are a God who has a moral code. That you've told us in your word what is right and wrong. And, and even the things that are not explicit because uh, maybe times have changed and it's not right in your word. Uh, we can come to conclusions based on what we have seen in the past and what we have seen, uh, how you respond to certain types of sin or certain types of situations. Help us, O oh God, as we pray. Help us as we study and walk with others uh, through different convictions. We want to do what is right at all times. We want to be happy and blessed. We want to be encouraged as we walk by faith. We don't want to be stumbling because of a conscience that is, um, is constantly barraged with guilt because we're just doing what others do. But we want to make every decision based on the faith that you have given us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.